We are currently in the middle of a series called Praying with Paul, and for five weeks we'll be looking at some different prayers that the Apostle Paul prayed. And the hope and the goal and our prayer for that is that as we see how Paul prayed, that that would help us to grow in what we pray for and in how we pray. One thing I've noticed when it comes to praying is that one of the most frequent requests I hear people asking prayer for is wisdom. I was reminded of that this Friday at Contenders that a number of the men were asking for different things, and then in not so many words, they were asking for wisdom. That so often in life we face a number of complexities and different things we have to hold in tension, and then we need to figure out what's the best thing to do. And often there's lots of different good options, better options, and then we need to try to discern by wisdom what is the best option, the best thing for us to do. The theologian J.I. Packer defines wisdom this way. He says that wisdom is the power to see and the inclination to choose the best and highest goal, together with the surest means of attaining it. And so... When I think about, say, loving my kids or supporting them, I need wisdom. I I mentioned last week that often with August we'll make a fort together, and I need wisdom to know, okay, is this a time where I should be encouraging him? Should I help him do this? Should I let him struggle and feel the frustration of trying to do something and then doing it himself? It takes great wisdom to know what to do. It takes wisdom to know what I should expect of him. What's a reasonable expectation for a three-year-old? What would be unreasonable? And so today, we are going to figure out what that looks like in terms of prayer. How do we pray for that kind of wisdom? And what I want you to see is I want you to see four four different things in this passage. And what we'll be looking at is Philippians chapter 1, verse 9 through 11. And so first, I want you to see the call on our lives to pray for love that is infused with wisdom. And we're called to pray for that so that we might determine what is best or might determine what is excellent. Second, I want you to see that we determine what is best so that we might be more like Christ. And third, I want you to see where the source of Christ-like living comes from or the source of living in a more and more righteous way comes from. And finally, I want you to see the highest goal or the highest purpose for anything we do, which is going to be God's glory. So with that, let's pray, and then we'll look at Philippians chapter 1, verse 9 through 11. God, would we hear your voice today from your word, and would we not have hard hearts, but soft hearts? Your word is alive and active, sharper than any double-edged sword, dividing soul and spirit, judging thoughts and attitudes. And because of that, God, would you help us to make every effort to enter your rest. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. First, let's read Philippians chapter 1, verse 9 through 11. And it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment, so that you may approve what is excellent 
And so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. So number one, the call to pray for love that is infused with wisdom so that we might determine what is best. So look at verse 9 through the beginning of verse 10 with me again. Paul says, And it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment so that you may approve what is excellent. So very clearly in verse 9, Paul tells us what he prays for. And this is my prayer. And then he tells us. And then he goes on and he gives us the purpose for why he prays. What's the end that he's aiming at? And it's that they might approve what is excellent or approve what is best. And oftentimes in life, what is good can detract from what is best. For instance, last year in the 2020 football season, I had to to look this up because I'm not a big football fan, but the Atlanta Falcons and the Detroit Lions were playing football, obviously. And the Falcons were behind by a little, but they had an opportunity to win. They just had to make a field goal, and they also had to run down the clock. If they were able to kick a field goal and just leave a few seconds left on the clock, the Lions would not be able to make a drive and beat them. But what ended up happening is that the Atlanta Falcons running back accidentally scored a touchdown. And if you look at the video, he was trying to take a knee or go down right in front of the end zone, but because of his momentum or something, he went into the end zone. And so in football, you can ask Pastor Ben this or any of the football players here, scoring a touchdown is a good thing. But in this situation, it wasn't the best thing for them to do. And as it turns out, lo and behold, the Lions end up getting the ball back, and they scored a touchdown and won. And the Belkins lost. And so for much of life, we need to discern what is the best thing for me to do. And we can think about that in any number of areas of life. What is the best use of my money? What is the best way for me to raise my kids? What is the best way for any number of things? And so I'm just going to focus on one area for now, and it's how do I make the best use of the time that I have? And so these are some questions to help encourage you to move in that direction. And so these aren't exhaustive, these aren't, you know, scripture or anything, but these are just some helpful questions that I found that have come from some of the different books I've been able to dig into as I've prepared for this series. So, first question. Number one, how many hours a week do you spend with your children? Number two, have you spent any time in the past two months witnessing to someone about the gospel? Number three, how much time have you spent watching television or in other forms of personal relaxation? Number four, how much of the Bible have you read in the past six months? Number five, do you make time for personal prayer? Number six, have you taken steps to improve in this regard, like paying attention during the new sermon series at church about prayer? Number seven, are you committed in your use of time to what is best? So with the call in mind, let's look at this next question of why does Paul make this goal? Why is this Paul's goal for his prayer? 
And the reason this is Paul's goal is that he is aiming for the Philippians and for us that we would be more and more like Christ. We are to determine what is best so that we might be more like Christ. Look at the middle of verse 10 and to the beginning of verse 11 with me. And so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness. Notice the words, and so be pure and blameless. Paul is again telling us a purpose. He just told us one purpose, and now he's giving us a purpose for the purpose. His purpose for the Philippians, his goal or his end is that they would be pure and blameless for the day of Christ. When Christ returns, that they would be found worthy. They would be ready to meet him. And you should know that pure and blameless doesn't mean perfect and sinless. But what it does mean is that once you've trusted in Christ alone for salvation, between that point and when Jesus returns or when you die, you would have even just a little bit become more like Jesus, that you would look like him more and more. For instance, in later on in Philippians, in chapter 3, verse 12 through 14, Paul gets at this idea. And just a quick note about the context. Paul says this right after expounding that we are so, uh, excuse me, saved totally by grace. That salvation is totally free. You can't earn it. You can't work for it. But then right after that, Paul says this in chapter 3, verse 12 through 14. Not that I have already obtained this, or I'm already perfect, but I press on to make it my own. Because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. What this means is that salvation by sheer grace is not opposed to effort and work on our part as we pursue holiness. That we are called to earnestly pursue holiness, to be more and more like Christ. And one way we do that is by knowing what is best, determining what is the best thing to do. Often in professional settings, you'll hear phrases like best practices. Like in the medical field, they'll talk about this is the best practice or such and such a thing. And I remember as a high schooler, my mom, who was a nurse, would often every once in a while have to be gone for a weekend or something, taking all these classes for ongoing education to just kind of stay up on what she was supposed to know, but then also learn what the new best practices were. And I'm really thankful for that. There was a time where it was best practices that surgeons don't wash their hands. And then they realized pretty quickly that was a bad idea, that it's a best practice to wash your hands before you operate on somebody and then to wash them again. Well, in a similar way, we must determine what is best so that we would be ready for that day when Christ returns. As verse 10 puts it, for the day of Christ. And so this means that eternity, heaven and hell, is at stake. And my burden and my hope for you is that we would not get tripped up between here and now as we pursue Christ. And there's a lot of different directions you could go with this. But one thing I want to hone on is is the opposite of what Paul talks about in these verses. He mentions in verse 11, filled with the fruit of righteousness. 
In other words, living in a way more and more that is like Christ. Well, an example of what that would not look like would be grumbling and complaining. And Paul actually mentions this later on in Philippians. In Philippians chapter 2, verse 14 through 15, look at what Paul says. And I want you to notice, listen for the similar language in this passage compared with our text for today. So Philippians chapter 2, verse 14 through 15. Do all things without grumbling or disputing. Why? What's the purpose? That you may be blameless and innocent, children of God without blemish, in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation, among whom you shine as lights in the world. Very similar to what we just read. And in case you're wondering, I looked into the Greek of this, and the word in verse 14, for all, in the Greek, it means all. It means all things. Do all things without grumbling or disputing, so that you might be ready for when Christ returns. C.S. Lewis put this really well. He, he talked about, he's talking about eternity and our pursuit of Christ, our pursuit of holiness in light of that. And so he, there's a long quote I'm going to read from him. I know it's long, but he just puts it so well. So here's what Lewis says. He says, Hell begins with a grumbling mood, always complaining, always blaming others, but you are still distinct from it. You may even criticize it in yourself and wish you could stop it. But there may come a day when you can no longer. Then there will be no you left to criticize the mood or even to enjoy it, but just the grumble itself, going on forever like a machine. It is not a question of God sending us to hell. In each of us, there is something growing which will be hell unless it is nipped in the bud. So to put it succinctly, what he's saying is we need to be killing sin or sin will kill us. And if some of you are like me, you might hear that or read about this and think, how on earth am I ever going to do that? How do I do that? And that takes us to number three, the source of all righteous living the source of Christ-like living. And the source is Christ himself. Amen. Our righteous life, to the degree that we live in a righteous way, that flows from the righteous one, Jesus Christ. Look at the middle of verse 11. It says, Filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ. So Paul is answering a very simple question. Where does this righteous fruit come from? It comes from Jesus. And we see this idea elsewhere in Scripture. In John chapter 15, verse 5, Jesus tells us this. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me, and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. Why? For apart from me you can do nothing. We are the branches and Jesus is the vine. He gives us a great picture. If a branch is not connected to the vine, you will not get any fruit. There will be no grapes. There's not going to be anything. And so if you think that we could somehow live in a righteous way or live more and more in a Christ-like way apart from Christ, 
you are fooling yourself. You are fooling yourself in the same way that that branch could somehow think it could grow fruit without being connected to a vine. There are a number of ways that we can grow and stay connected to Christ. And I'm just going to mention one way that I think connects well with what we've been talking about with this series. And that is simply meditating on Scripture. And meditating on Scripture is so key because it connects so easily with prayer. As you meditate on the Word, it will naturally, it should naturally lead to prayer, which again is what this whole series is about. And so I just want to offer you some more questions, which I tend to do a lot, don't I? I'm going to ask you some more questions as just one way you might meditate on a passage of Scripture. This isn't the only way, but this is a way that I've done many times that I find really helpful. And so all you do is have a passage of Scripture, a paragraph, maybe even a verse, and try to answer these questions. And then as you answer them, pray through your answers. So, first question, what does this text show me about God for which I should praise or thank Him? Number two, What does this text show me about my sin that I should confess and repent of? What false attitudes, behaviors, emotions, or idols come alive in me whenever I forget this truth? Number three, what does the text show me about a need that I have? What do I need to do or become in light of this? How shall I petition God for it? Number four, How is Jesus Christ, or the grace that I have in him, crucial to helping me overcome the sin I have confessed, or to answering the need I have? And finally, number five, how would this change my life if I took it seriously, if this truth were fully alive and effective in my inward being? Also, why might God be showing this to me now? So, so far we've seen, first, the call on our lives to pray that our love would grow more and more, and that that love would be infused with wisdom so that we might determine what's best. We've seen the aim of that, or the goal, that we might be more like Christ. We've also seen the source of living in more and more in a Christ-like way, which is Jesus himself. And now finally, I want us to see the highest goal for anything we would ever do. I want to remind you one more time of that quote from J.I. Packer that I read at the beginning. Let's read that one more time. Packer says, Wisdom is the power to see and the inclination to choose the best and highest goal together with the surest means of attaining it. Now, a pretty natural question to ask would be, well, what is the best and highest goal? God's glory. God himself is that goal. Look at the end of verse 11. To the glory and praise of God. That is the highest goal for anything we would ever do. We see the same idea, what we've been getting at, in Matthew chapter 5, verse 16. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to you? No, 
right? Give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Now you might think, well, obviously if they're my good works, shouldn't I get the glory? No, you shouldn't, because they aren't your good works. They flow from God himself. Anything good, anything good you might do, ultimately comes from him. And because of that, God gets the glory. He gets the credit. I remember during seminary, I was working with FedEx as a package handler. And if you've ever worked as a package handler, it's really fast-paced work. It's pretty physically demanding work. And there's not a lot of time to talk. It's like you, if you gotta, if you don't pay attention, a box is gonna hit you in the head or something. So you just gotta pay attention, work fast, and get done. Well, there was a lull in the action. And the guys I worked with knew at the time that I was going to seminary. I wanted to be a pastor. And so this guy named Chase turns to me and Chase says, David, what's the purpose of life? And I got like, you know, 10 seconds maybe to answer him. So, so what do you tell a guy when he asks you, what's the purpose of life? Well, like any good seminary student at Bethlehem College and Seminary, I was ready. We talked about that actually in class before. So without missing a beat, I said, Chase, the purpose of life is that we would glorify God by enjoying Him forever. That's the purpose. And so you think about what's the ultimate purpose for my marriage? That you'd glorify God. What's the ultimate purpose for why you are a member of a church? That you would glorify God. What's the ultimate purpose for prayer? That you would glorify God. That God gets the glory. It's about Him. It's not about us. And so he gets the glory. And he gets the glory because he gets the credit for bringing us home. Paul talks about that earlier in Philippians, back in chapter 1. Just a few verses earlier, Paul says this, And I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. Notice what Paul doesn't say. He doesn't say that God, who began the good work of salvation in you, will try really hard to bring it to completion, and he hopes that he'll he'll be able to do it. It doesn't say that. It says that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion. He is certain of it. He is sure that God will do it. How could you not be sure? If it is God who's doing it, He will bring it to completion. And so what that means is that God began it. God will finish it. And God, in the end, will get the glory for it. Let's pray. Our great Father, we ask that you would cause our love to grow in wisdom so that we would know the difference between the good, the better, and the best. Would you please empower us by your Spirit so that we might choose the best, so that we would be more and more like Christ. God, would you do it all for your glory? It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.